Human Vortex Training and Menachem Brody present the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, physiology, psychology, tech, and much more to help you get fitter, faster, and stronger in and out of your sport, giving you expert insights, talking with other leading experts. And now, your host, world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 70 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. I'm Menachem Brody, your host, and this week we have part two with Tim Farron following up on the 2020 season, uh, World Pro season, and talking about what was and what may be here coming in 2021. Now, for those of you over on the HV Training YouTube channel, you can see me waving at you here. Uh, we are trying this as a video for the first time for our podcast. I haven't really uh, felt the push to put the podcast on YouTube because uh, who listens to podcasts on YouTube, but a couple of you have asked if we'll do that. So we're giving that a shot here today. Now we have a fantastic interview with Tim. Uh, we talk about what was in 2020. Both of us were really surprised. And I think that's one of the things that we really uh, enjoyed actually on, on both sides of the microphone about 2020 is that we really didn't have any expectations and it was really exciting bike racing again, almost like the old days. So we cover a couple different really interesting topics, including will the teams force their riders to to actually live in bubbles kind of like the NBA did so that people are able to uh, to stay healthy and to be able to train uh, or are they going to allow their riders to kind of stay where they are in the world and then we'll tackle that next year. We also talk about race radios. Is that something that is going to, to possibly boost uh, the racing by getting rid of it or is that something that's going to stick around also for next year? Because as we know, the Giro d'Italia was exciting. Dan Martin, Israel Startup Nation, uh, started uh, finished second, rather. And uh, the first Israeli ever to start and finish a world tour guy, Niv. I met up with him the other day. Uh, actually I actually have his jersey, which will be put up on the wall behind me here, which is really cool. The one that he actually wore with his numbers. Uh, and there's just so much, you know, that's gone on on a personal level here for me, for you, uh, the listeners, whether you're new or you have been following the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast since February of 2019 when we started it. A lot has changed here in 2020. Now, over on my private Facebook page, I actually posted about an interaction I had yesterday when I went to the pharmacy to pick up some diapers for the kiddo. And essentially, every time you go to the checkout, or I've gone to the checkout, they ask you, do you have a membership card? That's the first question they ask you, and then they start checking you out. So this time, the question was different. And even though I heard the, the, the question and it registered, uh, I didn't have the right answer. She said, do you want to pay regularly? So I just automatically said yes. And then while she's checking the things out, I'm like, what does she mean regularly? Like, I, I don't want to do payments. It's not that expensive. I don't need to like finance it. And then I go to, to turn to take the bag. And as I always do, I look over the receipt and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. This is double what I was supposed to pay. And uh, I said, I have the membership card. And she said, uh, well, you said you wanted to pay normally. I, I said, usually the question is, do you have a membership card? She's like, well, that's usual, but that's not what I asked you. So let me ask you this. And that led to a whole five minutes of standing in line. But let me ask you this. What happens if you don't wait until July 1st to start taking your riding or health seriously? What if you do it here on December 28th, 27th, whatever the date is today, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday? And that in and of itself this year is a complete change. What if you don't wait? What if you start today? What if you start right now your training plan for next year? 
What if you start working with a coach for three months during base to help get you on track and shore up the areas that either you don't like training or are weaknesses and you don't quite see them. That's why I say weaknesses. This is misses that we have. Kind of funny, kind of dorky. But what if you do change something today that you know you should? What if you do sign up for that bike fit? What if you do go ahead and start a strength training program that's geared for performance instead of just general strength? What if you do shut your phone off two hours before bed and go to bed an extra half hour earlier? What's going to change? What would that long-term effect be? So that's my question to you before we dive into the episode today. Now, uh, Tim and I had a great conversation. We talked about uh, are the is the UCI and are the teams, one of those two, going to stipulate that the riders live in bubbles, uh, certain areas, and train in those areas, uh, small and, and together in these uh, in these capsules, kind of like what the NBA did. Is that feasible, and will they actually go that route? That's number one. Number two, we talked about race radio, and this is a question I really wanted to hear Tim's take on. Are they going to take the race radio uh, out of pro cycling because of how exciting this year was? And that's something that, that he and I actually agree on, but I asked the question, and it's a, a great one that he answered. Uh, then the other question is, What's going to happen in 2021? We already see the the tour down under has been canceled uh, because there weren't enough teams willing to go. Uh, what's going to happen to the rest of the year? Is it going to be like the Giro d'Italia? Uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, Israel Startup Nations Dan uh, Martin finished second. It was a very exciting race. I actually kept losing track every two or three days of what the leaderboard looked like because it was shifting so much. So these are the topics we cover today, as well as his book, Cape to Cape. Uh, fantastic book. I don't read German. The the pictures in there tell stories. I've actually been kind of cheating a little bit and using uh, my Google Translate to, to speed things up. But it's a fantastic book. And uh, if you're somebody who's a publisher or know somebody who's a publisher and would like to translate it to English, uh, Jonas Dykeman, who you're going to hear on the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast here in a couple of weeks, is a, a fantastic person. And, and he's actually, uh, the story behind everything is just really interesting. And as you'll hear from Tim, I'll let him tell you. So without much further ado, uh, if you find this podcast, when you find this podcast to be really interesting and uh, the other episodes to have information about strength training uh, and training in general to become a, a stronger and savvier cyclist and triathlete, please share it with five people. Help us grow the podcast episode. Uh, now, without much further ado, let's jump over to our interview that we just had last week with Tim Farron, wrapping up the 2020 World Pro season and looking ahead. What does 2021 possibly have in store? Tim, welcome back for part two. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for yeah. having me again. Yeah. Well, Sunny day. Yeah, you said it's the best day of the year, and I, you're, you're stuck off the bike for right now. <laughs> well, uh, I'm happy to be on this one. Well, last time uh, you had just finished, I think, 180 or 100 uh, kilometers. I have to. Yeah, it uh, could be. It uh, seems like long ago, you know how it is. You know, yeah, sometimes three years you, you ago. wonder. You wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's jump in. It's it's now November seventeenth uh, or eighteenth, I believe. Today's the eighteenth, so yeah. the season has finally ended for road cycling, and we had a ton of surprises uh, through the end of the Tour de France as well as the the Giro and the Vuelta. Can you share a little bit about you know we had said uh, or you had said that uh, Jumbo looked to take uh, the uh, the Tour de France, and out of nowhere, here he comes, Pogacar. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Well. Well, that is uh, uh, something, you know, something that really 
got to me. I was on a podcast with uh, some German colleagues uh, back in like a week before the Twitter front started. And I was going, I was going to have a, like a, um, let's say a daring position there and say that Pogaccia was going to win, but uh, I couldn't pronounce it. I wasn't sure about the pronunciation correctly and it was audio only. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't really want to pronounce it incorrectly. So that's, that's the one thing where I said, okay, uh, it would have been nice to name him there as the favorite to win the tour, which obviously I wouldn't have, you know, seriously thought that would happen. Uh, no, uh, I thought when we last spoke that definitely uh, Jumbo Visma was going to have it, you know, closed and sealed. Um, no, and and I spoke to some people like Leonard Kemner um, after the Tour de France. I had an interview with him uh, recently, and he was just surprised, you know, to see the the um, jump of Pogacar, uh, like on the wheel, basically, um, to win the the Tour on that day. I mean, that was something that no one would have expected. And then to seal it on a time trial without a power meter. And that comes to what I think we've done kind of a full circle where we've gone through the heart rate monitors and then the power meters, and we've become so focused on the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. And here we are, somebody who just realizes it doesn't matter what the numbers are, either I ride hard enough or not. Yeah. You know, yeah. do you think that's going to drastically change or have an impact on younger riders that are up and coming as to how much they focus on, on power? I think in race, yes, um, and it's what you can see is that they are, um, now I spoke to Mark Hirschi, for instance, yesterday, I, sp I spoke to Leonard Kemner, you can see that they are, they are very good at preparing and they are very good at, you know, knowing what's going on in their bodies and they have all the metrics, but in the race, I guess that um, th there's, there's much more uh, tactics, there's much more, uh, you know, you can say trust in what's going on in your well-prepared body. And that you, if you know the routes coming up, um, he will be able to, you know, to, you have a platform to build on and you know that it's going to hold and you don't have to uh, drastic or schematically follow the uh, metrics that you see on your screen. Like I remember when uh, Tom Dumoulin was more or less criticized for his style of writing a couple of years ago when they said, okay, he's, he's simply following, you know, his his threshold levels and going, it isn't going harder, it's, it's boring to look at. I doubt that, uh, that this is going to be the, the kind of style that we'll see in the coming years. I think um, the knowledge of, of what's going on in your preparation, if you have all this um, in order, you'll be able to be more spontaneous. That's the way it is. You know, you can, uh, you, have a, you have a better foundation to build on. So the days of hashtag Chris Froome staring at stems maybe uh, going away. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I think uh, that's what we saw. I mean, even though you can see that racing is controlled by by a lot of you know uh, outside information also, but this year was definitely the year when when this collided with with a lot of spontaneous um, ideas coming and, and and people that felt in good form and that could. That, that saw how race unfolded and that could spontaneously shape it. And there were more than just one or two or three names. It was, uh, you know, constantly happening. So, yeah, I think that's the, that's the one, let's say the, the, the biggest punchline was uh, that day uh, in the Tour de France. But there were other days as well. 
And that's what Giro. I was going to say. There were quite a number in the Giro. It was almost like every other day, another, like who, I, I lost track after the, the seventh or eighth yeah. stage. I'm like, who's in the lead? I have no idea. Yeah. Cause somebody else attacked and gained another heard. minute and a half. You know, yeah. how do you think that we, we had talks, I think uh, two years ago about taking race radio away. Mm-hmm. I think this kind of helps that argument of saying during the actual open road races, take it away. Whereas the time trials, you know, let them have that. Mm. Well, I think the this is a difficult one because it's been so the disc, the the discussion about this has been on for so long, coming you know back on and up. I think it's the the safety um, argument and and the, it's also a legitimate claim for uh, DS to say I want to take part in what's going on in the race, so I want to be able to communicate with my team. He's also or she's also a part of the team. So I, do, I don't think you should remove that. Um, uh, I think it's possible to override it. And I don't, from what you hear, it's not that, you know, they're remote controlled or something. I don't think so. So uh, I, I don't know if it's really necessary to do that. I think that um, uh, the style of racing can, sh- can change. Maybe it's also a, a question of, um, handling technology better, you know what I mean. So uh, when people, as people get get used to it and and understand the potentials of it, they will also become more liberated. That sounds very philosophical now, doesn't it? <laughs> Oops, that's one of the things that I think is uh, a lot of people are missing. Is exactly uh, what you said here. I'm just looking for a quote from um, one of the team director sportifs that I can't find where he, he essentially said the same thing as you, which is, yeah, it would add to the race, but then you're missing the leader of the team. Mm. Uh, you know, people think of the rider, the, the main rider as being the leader of the team. And we'll talk about mm. Chris Froome and Dan Martin here and, and how that will play yeah. out. But uh, a lot of people don't realize how much of a hand in the racing the director sportif has, because we, we don't hear that. We don't see that. You know, we see them mm-hmm. in a 10 second interview uh, but it really doesn't allow you to understand how much uh, they are coaching the team as opposed to, right. you know, the main right. rider is the main rider and everybody's riding for him. There's so much more that goes on there. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's, I mean, that's the one thing if people don't know much about cycling and it takes a long time to understand it, how much it is a team sport and how much, you know, a, a good team working together is something that uh, finally materializes in in a triumph in a one-day stage or in a stage race uh, or in a, a classics race you know all the people working together this is not possible without someone in the car or more than one pe- person sitting in the car and sitting or, or standing wherever and collecting information and you know having a communication flow so uh, i don't think it's a, it's a good idea to i think it's too simplistic to just say oh let's get rid of this i i don't i don't think so um, you know, the others need to adapt and be be better at communicating and, and getting their teams to work together. So essentially, you know, we spoke about this last time, and I think, um, uh, I don't think it's, even though Pogacar's win was more or less perceived as a solo win, you know, um, I, I think that we can say that uh, the notion of team sports and cycling uh, has been proven this year. Yeah. And unfortunately, at a lot of the amateur levels, and um, uh, Trevor Connor uh, was a guest uh, previously, and he had a similar experience that I think a lot of those of us who understand and, and execute the team side of racing, uh, where he was in a 
uh, race, and he was actively trying to bring a break back because even though uh, he didn't have anybody there or something like that. And then in the parking lot uh, after one of these guys from the other team who had a guy on the break said, what are you doing? You're not trying to win the race. You're just bringing it back. And he was like, well, that that's bike racing. That's I'm, I want my guy to win and he's not there. So, I, and people have this disconnect when we're, you know, in the amateurs, cause you just think we'll get somebody in the break and then we'll just block the whole time. Yeah. How, how can we uh, start to understand better the, the role of uh, the team? I know there's a book called uh, full gas. I can't remember who, who wrote it. It's on my reading list here. It's on the bookshelf. Um, do you have any, you know, as you've gone through as a writer, do you see a way for us as average riders to understand better how much the team comes into play uh, for racing and for the Grand Tours? Well, I think uh, this is for for the media, for the people that um, that work in the coverage of cycling to, to show, you know, um, and like, for instance, I spoke to Mark Hirschi yesterday, so he's He's a guy, you know, who's seen as the big solo rider this year. He's, he's going to, you know, he's trying to win. He's trying to win stages at the Tour de France and he's going for the classics wins. This is a one person show. It's not. So when you speak to him, you understand that this is a, there's a whole level of, uh, you know, he speaks about all the people that helped him that didn't just help him, but he feels like a part of the team. And, and uh, it wasn't clear on certain days whether or not he was going to be the one who's, you know, the, the star leader. So you can see that there's a team shaping up and a team taking on uh, different positions or different roles as a race unfolds. And this is something to cover. I think this is, um, unfortunately, um, in most of, of media coverage of sports, you will only focus on, you know, like the, the guy who's scoring the goals or, uh, you know, the, the person who's winning the stage or whatever. But uh, this is something I think to bring, bring uh, you know, to focus on more and to show what's going on behind the scenes. And it's, and it's kind of complex because you have so many, you know, you have so many things coming together. It's really chaotic. Um, and uh, it's, it's easier to focus just on, on the fallen uh, GC rider and the, people that are taking control and then you've got the stage winner. So it's kind of binary, but um, I think it's, it needs to be a, a thing of, of the media to make the, to show the complexity of cycling a little more. And that even applies to uh, really big uh, adventures that one person undertakes. There's always a team behind uh, one that we mentioned in the first part of the podcast here. And now I have in my hands was uh, the awesome book, Cape to Cape, that you, uh, you took part in. Uh, and thank you very much for this. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, as I said before we jumped on, even though uh, my German is, is spotty at best, and, and Kristen could probably read that, uh, one of my, my athletes, the pictures in here are absolutely fantastic. So if you guys are listening at home, you can you can kind of see uh, on the YouTube, on the video clip we've posted, there's just, I mean, this is incredible. And that that's, this is so far above and beyond the expectations that I had. I was like, oh, I'll definitely be able to connect with it. And, you know, even an individual endeavor, and Jonas right now is off on 120 times Ironman, whom we'll, yeah. we'll hear from on the podcast later. Uh, even then, there's a whole team and ra random strangers he's meeting. He's yeah. now swimming across one of the, the capes, but it was too windy, so he went back and these people housed him. And 
it all there's always a team but as cyclists we tend to think oh i just need to put my my bike you know my clothing on and go out but there's the mechanic there's your family there's your kids there's the other people you ride with there's always so many people that help um turning uh oh by the way uh if anybody out there is uh interested in uh helping get a amazing story and, and again my, my german isn't that great but uh, Tim, if I'm not mistaken, you're, you're you are looking for somebody to translate this to English, correct? Definitely, definitely. I, I think that Jonas uh, has a has much more of an international following than he does in Germany. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of fans in Germany and, and Switzerland and Austria, but the book is uh, German only, and I think it's a shame because, as you said, you can see. I mean, the the story you can you can see it as something that. Um, appeals to uh, cycling fans, but also the whole, uh, you know, the, the scene of people who are in, interested in, you know, individualistic uh, adventures, people that go to and beyond borders, or let's say, uh, go to uh, extra, extraordinary adventures and challenge themselves. So it also appeals to people who maybe don't, you know, don't participate in, in sports per se, but that want to look for their next level of, let's say, management skills or something. So it's it's a very strong message in this book. And it's also, in it's, it's a beautiful book, the pictures and all this. So I, I'm I'm also in love with uh, with the text that I've produced because I think it wasn't easy to uh, to recapitulate this. And it's, it's the feedback that I get from people that are not, you know, that are not fans of cycling or of this kind of thing is the the thing that encourages me the most because i think it's it's something that that should be out there in english as well and then we need a publisher of course who who's able to uh, connect us with uh, you know english speaking audience um, somewhere out there which could be global you know um, so i think it's it's a story that needs to be needs to be told to uh, anyone who can read english and jonas as we can see, if you look at his social media channels now, he communicates, of course, he communicates in English. So yeah. he, he's, a, he's, a, he's an international personality. Yeah, and as the folks will hear, thanks to your uh, introduction, uh, he didn't speak and doesn't speak the language through a lot of the countries he's going through. So it's gestures and body language, uh, and that just adds a whole layer of complexity and also unity uh, mm -hmm. to the whole story, uh, just how he went. He explained how the Far East, they won't tell you no. Even if they know the answer is, is no, you have to figure yeah. out how to ask, you know, is this the train to go to X? Yes. And then you get on the train and you're like, I went the opposite direction. Why would you tell me that? Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of togetherness, uh, you know, Chris Froome and Dan Martin are now here on Israel Startup Nation. Uh, that's a team mm -hmm. that I've I worked with on a, a, the back end, the PR side a number of years ago. And mm -hmm. when they first started up, you know, how do you see this going? Because Dan just took the Vuelta, uh, rode exceptionally well. I mean, the team was, that's, I think the best the team has ridden, you know, even if he wouldn't have uh, uh, won, I think he finished second, if I'm not mistaken, he podiumed rather. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was the best the team had written and uh, they've really come a long way in a short time. Uh, yes. You know, what are your thoughts on having two leaders like this uh, on a team? Is, is it the point where Chris is, it's a matter of the, the DS will just say whoever's riding better by X point uh, will ride for him. Or is this something where you think uh, Chris is kind of more in a, a, I guess, mentorship role, although I don't think that's right. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, well, this could be, uh, but I, I have my doubts. I think uh, he will be out there to prove again that that he has a chance of going for the GC in the Tour de France. Um, 
I don't think that two of two of these guys for or two two types like these for one equip are too many. I don't I don't think so uh, in a team, especially with the ambitions that uh, they have. It it shouldn't be uh, a problem really. Uh, I mean, and and both of them should be used to the kind of situation. Now uh, this is I mean this is kind of difficult to say. I mean he had a sh shitty. Uh, last year, and um, uh, so is he going to come back? I think age is also a, a a problem here, and we all we often see people that uh, announce they are going to be coming back in. I'm 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 doubtful whether or not he's going to make it. Really, um, my feeling is that he's not going to be there on top level. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that the extent of the injuries that he sustained, more so than the age, I think that, that he has a very special psyche that really allows him, but the extent of the injuries, and people don't realize how few missed training days there need to be in order to get to that top level where you're competing in the top 15 yes. for a grand tour. Like that's, let's say eight to nine years with minimally missed days. Like even if they break a collarbone, they're still training. Like but to have what he went through where he was essentially off the bike for what, two and a half, three months, I think a little bit longer, like not even on a stationary trainer turning the pedals. Like that's how, and the detraining on top of the, the trauma the body's going through, it just, it, it pulls. Um, I really think that, that Chris will, will look to kind of reform his, his career or to end his career on a reformed, focusing more on um, either specific stage types to win um, as opposed to the grand tours, but I think he still has, you know, four, five, six years of high quality racing. It's just that that grand tour, it might take him another year of building. I, I looked at it and I'm like, his performance matches what I would expect from somebody having gone through that, that extent of trauma, you know, not just mm -hmm. a broken pelvis, uh, who was it that broke the pelvis in 2015, I think, and came back in 17. Um, there was a nasty crash 2014, maybe, um, I don't know right now. I have to think, but they came back. I think they were riding yeah. for a uh, quick step, if I'm not mistaken. I'm probably wrong. Well, um, what's most exciting for you for 2021? Like, what are you most looking forward to here? Uh, is the season going to take place as usual, like a non-COVID uh, season? Is it going to be happening or not? I'm very doubtful, you know, with the classics that are actually should, should be prepared now because you know, it's, it's three months down the line right now. Uh, had news blood starts in in late uh, February. <laughs> is yeah. it going to be there or not? So so the whole I think this is one of the most interesting stories right now. Who, how are they going to prepare for the season? Because the season was, in terms of preparation, you could see that the level of of the athletes was tremendously high, but the level of uh, preparation for the selection of of the teams and all that was was very spontaneous and must be sub optimal um it must have been suboptimal sub this year so i think uh, it's kind of hard to do that you know for a longer time to go and then um yeah what's happening with the dates you know there's a calendar that's the first thing and the second thing um i think uh will we see the we talked about this last time and i think we saw that jumbo wisma has taken over from Ineos grenadiers but then at the end of this season we saw like the the backlash or the fight back of uh, of certain of the uh, let's say more established teams and you could see in the in the giro uh what they were pulling off with uh, rowan dennis there uh so uh, this is going to be uh, there's going to be a, a big battle over those the big 
big three three week stage races. Um, definitely, I think that's that's um, going to be a a big thing to watch next year because there will be more likely more than two or three teams going for that for that role. Um, yeah. yeah. We already saw uh, the Tour Out Under was canceled. They didn't have enough teams. I think a lot of that is the travel stress, the distance. Whereas, you know, what do you think? You know, my, my thoughts I'll share after, but what do you think about the teams creating these capsules essentially uh, in Europe for the three big stage races? Do you think we'll see a, ch a changing in how they're preparing and that they'll stay in one region, and, you know, pretty much camp there and, and create a, a, a capsule? Or do you think that they're going to try and, and go about what they did this past year since, well, it, it kind of worked. Yeah. Well, I think the capsule is, it seems to be kind of very far away from, from the reality of, of the riders and of the whole people that work with the riders and the, you know, the whole circus. So I, you know, the kind of in extreme was the NBA, what they did was the, the ultimate uh, uh, form of, you know, putting people in a vacuum for, how many weeks, you know, uh, I think this is something that really doesn't work in cycling. I think you have too many people and too many places involved and you have too many, also too many, let's say, um, regional events that, that want to be, um, that, that want to have their race in their region at the time they want to have it. So you could see last year that you had the conflicts between the Giro at the same time, you had the Giro and the classics going on, you know, like the nicest time to watch TV as a cycling fan. But then again, you know, in terms of marketing and, and all this very complicated, but uh, I don't think that it's easy to, to get all the organizations together and say, we'll have a capsule here for, Three months we do all the races i doubt that their let's say their egos will allow them to do that because there's not uh even though we have a governing body in cycling there's not it's not the same thing as an nba that can tell the organizations and the franchises to, to you know this is going to be the format uh, the uci can't do that they have uh, different there's a different set of events going on and, and so i i don't think it's gonna be that way no and you touched on, you know, there's so many people in different places. Uh, the NBA, exactly. You can do that. The players are used to traveling and being in hotels. But uh, psychologically, I mean, think about cyclists and how uh, we like our routines. We like things a certain way. And we're already disturbing that. So to put people into regions, uh, I think is tough. It's going to be very interesting. That's for sure. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully exciting in a good way. And in terms of the, I mean, you could see this year, maybe it's one more very interesting fact is that we can see the the power of youth and not just the power of youth but the cleverness of youth as well you know you see the the guys you know the very young guys doing very very good things it's clever things where you could you wouldn't expect them to do that you could expect them to be athletically on a top level because they they've all been you know undergoing the kind of program that you uh, maybe can offer them you know very high scientific advice but you know, riding a good bike race is something else, you know, it's experience, it's teamwork, like, like we said. And you could see this year that, um, that very young guys were doing this on all sorts of races, all sorts of race days and all sorts of settings. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see. Maybe it's a Corona special effect, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you could see that, the, that um, people coming out of U23, you know, coming into these levels, already uh, 
in a much more professional shape and much more, uh, let's say, have, have a lot better education and could also already be uh, forming factors for the races for, for years to come. Yeah, I, I think that's the most exciting part for me is to see the younger riders come in and express uh, the new way of training and really moving forward. And exactly what you said, starting to see the new generation come through who's been open-minded about strength training and what that actually entails. Uh, training less, not going out. You know, I'm working with a, a triathlete uh, at a, a fairly high level. He's young, I think 19, 18, 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, his previous coach had him running very high mileage. And that's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there's certainly athletes that need that and respond well. Um, but there's a growing number who don't like, it's such a small percentage that do well with that high mileage, uh, for running or cycling. And, uh, I think it's, it's really, we're going to see a big change where, yeah, you're going to have the power meter, but it's in the back pocket and learning to, to ride by fuel again. Uh, and it'll be interesting, man. It sounds like, uh, we have some really cool stuff coming up here in 2021. Um, are you going to be, uh, are you going to be looking forward to any one particular race here? Wow, as always, the Giro. I would say, <laughs> uh, I, I like it the most. Uh, just to watch it, I think this year was was no exception. And uh, I was kind of, I could feel the the madness or the let's say, uh, I could feel that no, the angriness of the Italians who said that the French were taking away their penultimate stage. You know, and it really happened. The Tour de France took place three weeks without any changes to the schedule, and then the Giro was on, and you know everyone's looking for that that stage going over uh, Colle dell'Agnello, uh, which would have been a, a, another one of those drama days. Now the penultimate stage was nice, the one they did, but uh, I don't think it was a comparison to what would have been. And so uh, I think that the Giro always manages to surprise. And even if, you know, people drop out or, you know, big protagonists may break whatever on the first day, uh, even if you think this is a deficit in terms of the, the lineup, uh, it's always the most fun ra- stage race to watch for me. Um, now saying that, <laughs> I didn't really have enough time to watch the Vuelta, which is something I heard was, I, I, I just saw, you know, just the, the, the tiniest bit of it. And then you see all the people that followed every minute, they say, well, what a race. So yes, it's, it's hard to say, but if I can pick, it's going to be the Giro. Nice. Well, uh, Tim, thank you for spending uh, not one, but two interviews with us here. Uh, can you tell the folks where they can find the, the Cape to Cape book, as well as yeah. your writings and musings and connect with yes. you? For now, uh, I guess, uh, look for me. It's uh, Tim Farron. You see my name, so you can Google me. Um, you can find the book on Amazon, uh, which is, uh, of course, the, the most established way to get it shipped internationally. And uh, I can also send it out directly. I have signed copies here, um, so um, it may take a couple more days, but but I can I can actually do the fulfillment. I do it myself, which is maybe not my core business, but I still do it. <laughs> Love it, man. That's pride in work. That is pride in your work. Yeah, it's, it's nice to do it. I mean, it's, it's nice to ship out. We did, uh, Philip and I, the, you know, the Philip is the, the photographer who went on that trip. Um, we did a couple of years ago by ourselves without a publisher. We had a, a book that uh, combined his nicest landscape cycling photography with a couple of uh, texts by myself. And it was nice that we did the whole international campaign, including the sales. We sent stuff to Australia and Israel and South Africa, I don't know where. And it was fun to do that, you know, to send out your own book uh, to the people that really appreciate it and, and put in a personal message. 
even though you know the whole handling is not what we it's not you know get paid for it or whatever but it's it's fun to do it anyways that's awesome, man. Well, I strongly encourage everybody pick up a, a, a copy. Uh, it is absolutely fantastic. Again, just a little bit that I Google translated. Uh, it is a very interesting story. And if anybody's interested or uh, knows somebody who would be interested in translating that over to English, uh, please get in touch with Tim. And uh, Tim, I'm looking forward to having you uh, the, maybe the middle or end of next year. And we can uh, have a little bit fun and then reflect on the changes that 2020 put on 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll <laughs> awesome. be happy to. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HB Training. Until next time, remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.